Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir. Today, I mean, future Hall of Famer as a broadcaster. I, I think he's, you know, he and Yubi Brown are, are the modern day basketball John Madden's uh, just fabulous. Jeff Van Gundy is our guest today and got an opportunity to coach against Jeff from the time he joined the NBA as an assistant all the way up, you know, through when he finished uh, in 2007. Uh, with the Houston Rockets. For 15 years, he's been the voice of ABC and ESPN. His knowledge of the game, his thoughtfulness of the game and how to teach it, his insight into players is just, you know, incredible. And uh, he is one of the very best coaches I've ever gone against and one of the people that loves and impacts the game in such a huge way. So after this quick timeout, we'll be back with Jeff Van Gundy. I'm so excited to announce our new partner, Instat. Instat is a powerful web-based platform which enables you to store, edit, and share video linked to statistics. Their video database contains over 30,000 player profiles and nearly 7,000 team profiles. Thousands of basketball games from all over the world are uploaded daily, with many of them filmed exclusively by Instat. Instat's user-friendly interface is very intuitive. The flexible filtering system will fit the needs of coaches at all levels. You can sort through specific play types, locations on the court, lineups, and various other parameters. The Instat system contains multiple tools that clients from all over the world utilize for scouting, recruiting, coaching and player development, video editing, and tagging. They also take an individual approach to each client. The wide network of Instat account representatives allow Instat to best serve their clients 24-7. Also, Instat production specialists will provide you with a quick and precise breakdowns of your team and opponents in less than 10 hours. Need a certain game ready sooner? Instat gives you the ability to prioritize the specific games you want the data for first. Instat also provides free individual player access. So feel free to invite your players to the Instat platform so they can access their page, follow their performance, scout opponents, and share clips with other players and coaches. After each game, they can receive an individual one-page PDF report and video clips with all box score statistics. For more details, please visit our official website, instatsport.com forward slash basketball and apply for a free one month trial using code coaching you live again that code is coaching you live contact eric stang at eric.stang at instatsport.com for more information on this offer as well and that's e-r-i-c period s-t-a-n-g at I-N-S-T-A-T sport.com or click the link in our show notes. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir, Jeff Van Gundy, one of my absolute favorite NBA coaches, someone who kicked my butt for years, uh, is our guest today. Jeff, welcome, my friend. Good afternoon or morning, wherever you are. I appreciate it. And, uh, I wish I kicked your butt. Didn't happen that way. <laughs> well, you know what? We, we both, when we uh, first faced each other in the NBA, when you were the Knicks and I was with the the illustrious New Jersey Nets franchise, uh, you know, uh, we 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 went against each other in the summer league. It was the summer of the uh, Dream Team Olympics, and uh, and Riles left you with your summer league team, and Chuck before the Olympics left me with uh, these kids, Kenny Anderson and them. And I remember we played at the old Westchester. Uh, you know, Civic Center. County there. Center, yes, it was great. It was, I loved it. One great of the best summer leagues summer league. ever. Yeah, yep. that was great. And uh, and then we found out Kenny Anderson could play, you know, that summer, you know, <laughs> and uh, it, it was fabulous. But, you know, back then, you know, you worked for some of the most incredible coaches, uh, you know, starting with, um, you know, Patino, uh, when you were went to Providence, uh, and, you know, talk about, you know, what it was like working for an iconic coach in Rick Pitino. Well, you know, he's now iconic. Yeah. But back then, you know, he was fighting uh, 
for survival, like at a tough job. So he, he had been at BU as a young, Boston university as a young coach, had some success, went to the Knicks as an assistant for a couple years, uh, with Hubie Brown and then, uh, came to Providence. And I came in year two as a graduate assistant and it was the first year of the three point line. Um, and so no one had any, any experience with creating three point shots or defending three point shots. And because of coach Patino's pro background, he did because the NBA obviously already had it. So, um, I, I found the whole thing fascinating. Plus on top of this, and this was back in 86, 87, everybody was in motion offense and we were more at that time set play, but we, we were the only team that we played against that was uh, a pick and roll team. Mm -hmm. So we were so different. So we, we pressed, we ran pick and roll and we shot more threes, a lot more threes than the other teams. And so we were incredibly different, which for, for someone who was so young in coaching and had grown up, you know, man to man flex, all that stuff. Sure. This was a total like opposite change for me, which was so good to see how you could, you know, do it differently. That was one. And then the force of his personality uh, was uh, the second thing that when you're in like a total rebuilding situation, um, how you have to fight, you know, losing mentalities, either, you know, players or coaches or administration. Um, and he was willing to fight the fight every day. And, uh, it was a miraculous run to the final four that year. Uh, so anyway, unbelievable. It was like a night. I, I worked for him for like nine months. Um, and, uh, uh, I learned so very, very much. Talk about the staff you guys had there too. Well, it was, um, it was really incredible. So Herb Sendek, who's been coaching major college basketball forever, um, <laughs> NC State, Arizona State. Now he's at Santa Clara. Gordy Chiesa, who uh, succeeded uh, Coach Patino at Providence and then went on to be an NBA assistant forever, <laughs> almost entirely with the Utah Jazz, Stockton Malone, Jerry Sloan. Um, Stu Jackson uh, became the head coach at Wisconsin, the first general manager of the Vancouver Grizzlies. Then an NBA executive, you know, he went to the dark side of administration um, and now is with the Big East Conference. Um, Sean Carney, who's, um, he, he was all over Notre Dame, yeah. assistant with Mike Bray forever, and he now is an assistant commissioner with the Atlantic 10. So it was really like an incredible staff. Everybody was around, you know, I think Gordy was in his forties at the time, Chiesa, but everybody else was like coach Patino. maybe was 35, 36. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. And everybody else was younger. So it was a very, very young staff, a hungry staff and, uh, a great diversity of backgrounds. But coach Patino back then, you know, it was just different, right? Like he ran rough shot over his staff. Like it was like, you know, <laughs> midnight basketball game, pick up basketball and saunas at two in the morning. And, you know, this, this wasn't like people say, um, you know, I worked with a guy. Well, I didn't work with coach Patino. I worked for coach Patino. <laughs> That's great. You had this little chubby backcourt kid from Long Island, uh, uh, Billy Donovan he, and, and Rick totally transformed him. Right. Yeah. So, uh, Bill, you know, hadn't played much for his first two years. Um, and you know, really hadn't distinguished himself when coach Patino got hired before Bill's junior year, you know, it was very possible. Bill would have, could have, and should have maybe transferred down to a lower level, right. but instead, um, 
he embraced Coach Padino's fanatical approach to conditioning, uh, dropped a ton of weight, re, redid his body, um, and then his skill level was high for the way Coach Patino wanted to play. You know, he had a great handle. Uh, he could run a pick and roll, which, you know, very few got people were even doing, let alone understanding how to do it. Well, Bill uh, innately understood pick and roll basketball. Um, and, uh, and, and then, you know, he wasn't as good a shooter as people thought he was, <laughs> but he was a confident shooter and he could shoot off the dribble, which again, you know, ba- there weren't guys creating their own shots back then a lot, you know, like off multiple dribbles. And so I, I say this to this day from 1985 to present day, no one's ever coached better in one year than coach Patino did uh, in that run to the final four. And no player has ever been more valuable to his team uh, than uh, Billy was wow. to that 86, 87 team. You couldn't be, no one would even be able to name another starter on that team. And, and, and we were, we had hardworking complimentary players, but without bills, like complete greatness and humility and all, and, and the, you know, he took coaching better than anybody. And coach Patino was, you know, he was after these guys. So, um, you know, I feel like there's never been since then a college player more valuable than bill. You know, uh, and I know the friendship that you and Bill have. Uh, when did you feel, or when did you really know he was had the coaching instincts within him? I'll tell you, you certainly wouldn't have seen it when he was a player. Like, <laughs> the guy was a nut. He would take any <laughs> shot. He would like. He he would try any pass. You're like, this guy, he's crazy. Like, and. Uh, and yet, and his personality wasn't what you see today of this polished leader yeah. who um, is so like, I mean, he's, he's always in learning mode and he's a, he's a deep thinker about um, how to build, you know, team building and um, camaraderie and chemistry. Like I, I, none of that you, you could have seen at, um, Providence. What you could see, though, was an incredible work ethic, uh, a, an incredible humility, and being a great teammate. Like he had all of that. And then when he found his voice in coaching, um, it's really been so fun to watch. I mean, he's just everybody knows he's a great coach, but when you you know him personally, like, and you truly know what a great man he is. That's what makes it fun to follow, you know, all of his successes. When uh, and I know you were really instrumental in helping develop him because he was such a great learner at Florida, and he was always, you know, whether you were around him, Kevin Eastman, myself, or anyone that came by, uh, he always was asking questions and stuff. When did you, uh, you know, when you in your journey of coaching him, let's say? Uh, personally at Florida, did you really know his intent to go to the NBA? When did that, and and did you feel that it was the right move for him? You know, really when he turned down, well, he he accepted the magic job, right? you know, and, and then he ultimately went back to Florida because, you know, he had second thoughts and I, I applauded him for that because, you know, whenever you, sometimes you don't know until you know. And in that situation, he knew that he, you know, after initially being swept into the euphoria of becoming an NBA head coach and maybe not having to move, he realized for him, it wasn't right, the right timing. Um, but that was the first time when he called me, uh, you know, just talking through that situation. Did I know like that he had that interest because before he, he was building such a juggernaut at, uh, Florida that I never realized that um, he had uh, those intentions, you know, cause every college coach that you talk to has some frustrations with the recruiting sure. process and rules. And back at that time, you didn't get to work with your players as much in college. So I think there was some frustration, you know, there, but 
uh, it was only when he was interested in that job that I realized that this guy wants to do it. And then I think he took a, you know, a great job for himself in Oklahoma city. Um, you know, that worked out exceptionally well. And now in Chicago, he's, he's doing, uh, another <laughs> terrific job. So, uh, you know, like this guy the one thing he does, he maxes out his teams, no matter where he's at. And he does it in, uh, you know, such a way of cooperation. Um, I just, I just love watching his, his success. I agree. Um, talk about your path to get to the Knicks. How did that happen? Well, the path uh, to the Knicks was, was, uh, directly from, uh, me getting, uh, the graduate assistant job at Providence. So after that, uh, my own, my year at Providence with coach Patino in 86, 87, he later in that summer left to go to the New York Knicks and he brought Stu Jackson, uh, with him, who was one of our assistants. And then, you know, I stayed in the college ranks, both at Providence and then at Rutgers with, uh, uh Bob Wenzel. And, and then when coach Patino left the Knicks to go to Kentucky, Stu Jackson got elevated at, you know, I, I forget how, how old he was. He was like probably, you know, 35, 34, something like that to become the head coach of the Knicks. Uh, he hired me, um, as, and back then the staffs were so much smaller. Yeah. You know, I got, I was, you know, you know how it is. I was the, the third <laughs> assistant slash go out on the road and do all the scouting of upcoming opponents right. slash, <laughs> part-time video coordinator, you know, coffee getter, you know, so you just did more, you know, like that. It's just, it's just, it wasn't as specialized. And so that's how I got there. And, uh, you know, as you know, Brendan, like living that life, as long as you did your first couple of years in the NBA, it's like, it's such a basketball clinic, like every day, you know, especially when you're in charge of the scouting, like, you're you're learning so much about the personnel about the different coaches and and there were just so many uh, more different styles of play back then not everybody played sort of similar basketball now it's you know yeah other than golden state there's a lot of similarities between uh, all the teams and what they run back then there was more differences in styles of play so i i, I was a just a fascinating uh undertaking and I'm, I'm forever grateful to Stu Jackson for getting me into the NBA world. When I went to the Hawks in 79, 80 with UB Brown, who was my high school coach as the head coach and Mike Fratello, uh, you know, as the other assistant, I took Frank Layden's spot who became the GM with the jazz. And, uh, you know, I had no idea for two years of anything going on in the NBA. I had no idea of it. I didn't know anything and I felt so inept, but man, when you learn it, it was absolutely frightening, uh, you know, to see what you learn. And you're right. Every day was a clinic and I would do the advanced scouting and I'd come back and I'd say to, you know, to Mike, I'd say, hey, I just saw, um, I'm trying to think, a Dick Mata coach or uh, Bernie Bickerstaff or something. And I'd say, what, they run great stuff. And Yubi would roll his eye at me and say, hey. He's not that good a coach, all right? Bill Fitt. You know what I'd say? Damn, I thought they were – Gene Shue. I thought they ran the greatest stuff, you know, and I, I was mesmerized by all of the teams in the league, you know. So, Oh, I, I agree. Like uh, like Dick Mata's stuff, I can still – I'm in Dallas tonight for a game, and every time I go there, uh, all I think of is Roy <laughs> Tarpley was my first year in the NBA – my, I think it was my the fourth game of the season. He had 40 on us in Madison Square Garden. And I said, this is the greatest player in the history. It has to be in the history of basketball. I've never seen anything like this guy, right? And then, you know, the next night it's somebody else and then somebody else. I mean, it's like, um, it, I, I'll tell you, it's it to me, you can get like, you know, you can start taking for granted just how great some of these players. And like you said, the coaches, like you can like, you can overlook how good everybody is, you know? So that's great. We're going to take a quick time out and we'll be right back with Jeff Van Gundy coaches. 
Are you looking to take your game preparation to the next level? Then Fast Model Sports is the perfect coaching software for you. With FastDraw, build an organized library of plays and drills and create professional playbooks to share with your players and staff. You can also download over 9,500 free plays and drills from our playbank directly to your FastDraw account. Looking for a better way to build your scouting reports and want to include video? With FastScout, build custom scouting report templates to prepare your team best for each individual opponent. Plus, did you know with the latest updates from Fast Model Sports, you can now include video with your FastScout reports and share with your coaches and staff all within the FastScout mobile app. The combination of Fast Draw and Fast Scout is by far the best way for you and your coaches to create winning game strategies and effectively communicate them to your team. Over 10,000 high school and youth coaches trust Fast Model Sports products to help their teams reach their goals. To order, go to FastModelSports.com. Use code COACHINGU15 to get 15% off any Fast Draw or Fast Scout products. Remember, Go to FastModelSports.com, use code COACHINGU15 to get 15% off any Fast Draw and Fast Scout products. We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers, and coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. If you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that into Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention Coaching You or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. Back with Jeff Van Gundy, ABC ESPN. 15 years now, my friend. Wow. What a run, huh? Yeah. yeah. Again, like, you know, you're always, uh, always grateful for opportunities and uh, to not have to move my family and be able to stay in and around the NBA, you know, uh, yeah, ESPN's uh, taken really good care of me, and I've, I'm I'm grateful. Who would have ever thought two of the best basketball guys I know, X and O wise, clinic wise, learning from uh, both Stan and yourself, uh, are two of the best broadcasters we have in the business? It's just amazing, and and, and we're so thankful for it. Uh, Stan is just an incredible, incredible uh, broadcaster, uh, as well as an incredible coach. Uh, but it all starts, I think, way back with your dad, who is, I'm lucky to say, is a, is a dear friend and uh, love him when, every time I'm in Florida to see him and stuff. And every time I go have a clinic or go to a clinic or whether we're at Florida, he's he's maybe the best learner in the building. Yeah, and he's 86. <laughs> and he's like, you know, I was just I just got off the phone with him before um, we got on uh, with this podcast, you know, and he's telling me about Stetson and <laughs> – um, Liberty, uh, that he went to see their game last night. I don't know how they got there. Hopefully they didn't drive. I hope they were air transported at night. It's scary if my dad was driving, but anyway, I, I, he was talking to me about how well Liberty blocked out. Like that's how what, about that? We, we, we had to spend five minutes about Liberty and how well they blocked out. And so it was just, it's awesome that he just a loves the game and B, like you said, uh, he and my mom are who goes she goes to every game too are very curious you know and uh, I think that's what I hope to remain to wow. be as well you know curious you know so 
anyway, that's so me. yeah, I'm grateful for. I'm great. I'm really happy that he still loves the game because I love talking basketball with. Yeah, him. I watched the game last night, and you know what? And and my dear friend Donnie, you know, they were getting their butt kicked and everything, and I didn't notice the blocking out. I noticed a lot of other things, but that's how good your dad is. That he noticed that, and he is a hundred percent right because Richie McKay is one of the best teachers in the game. When you work for Pat Riley, who you know, it's funny, you know, it, I love Pat Riley, and Chuck Daly loved Pat Riley. I mean, these are two of the best in the game at the same time, but the respect and love they had for each other is so incredible, you know, because college coaches, I feel, are very jealous of each other through recruiting. You know, we don't get that in the pros, but um, the respect that they had, and every time you played against Pat's teams, you just knew it was going to be special. Uh, what was your biggest takeaways from Pat? Yeah, so, you know, that you mentioned, like, um, I, I love that you mentioned about, like, the coaches during that time because uh, Tom Thibodeau always says to me, he goes, back in the Eastern Conference, <laughs> like, it was like uh, Coach Riley, uh Coach Patino, Coach Daly, Larry Brown, mm -hmm. you know, like every, every night, you know, Phil Jackson, Doug Collins, you know, like yeah. you can just go on a, and you knew your teams better be ready like to go or you're going to get your head handed to you. So I think, you know, Coach Riley, um, I think what he did exceptionally well was he understood exactly what won and what lost. And then he looked at his team and determined what the best chance for that group to maximize their abilities. And so, you know, he could be Showtime Lakers in L.A., and he could be rough-and-tumble Knicks. Um, and, and, you know, he could fit his personality into any of that. You know, like, at heart, he's a street kid from Schenectady, New York, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, forget the slick back hair and all that. He, you know, he was a street fighter. Um, and, and so like, I, I really learned that and I thought he was really good, um, in communicating with the team. Um, he wasn't as big on individual meetings with players. He wanted to tell everybody in front of everybody where everybody stood. And I, I thought he was outstanding with that. Like his messaging to the team, um, you know, was really good. And I think, you know, and then the other thing, like he let you coach a, a, as an assistant, like he wanted you to coach. Um, he wanted the assistant to set the tone of intensity and enthusiasm. And, um, and I, again, like when you get the opportunity to coach and you're coaching, you know, the great players we had in New York, but also highly coachable players, it really is a great teacher in and of itself because you make mistakes and, you know, either in scouting report and whatever it may be. And they help you cover up that mistake that you might've made because of their greatness. So I, it was, it was an unbelievable time to be in New York um, with coach Riley. You know, the, the, the thing I noticed about, you know, the great ones, like, you know, whether it be Chuck, Phil Jackson, Riles is that, they were so, they knew who they were. They were so confident. They were, you know, sometimes you watch coaching staffs put together and they're, they're not very good assistants on the staff. And those guys, they got the best guys working for them. And that just tells me, you know, it, it's almost like Nick Saban, right? You know, where he gets the best people to work for him as assistants. But those guys, you we would... I remember when I was with Isaiah and we we're in Toronto and, and he said, look at Phil Jackson's staff. He's got four head coaches with him. You know what I mean? And that was, that, that was pretty impressive, you know? And I, and I, well, thought, yeah. And I think it goes right to this. A lot of head coaches now in the NBA aren't afforded the opportunity to hire their own staff. Well, that's great. They're point. being dictated to by, um, general managers. And it doesn't make any sense to me that you would entrust a team to a head coach, but then not entrust hiring a staff to that same head coach. 
And I think what it leads to, uh, especially now that you have these bigger staffs, is you have a lot of staff chemistry issues and trust issues. Where before, when you know there was smaller staffs and the head coach, you knew exactly who you worked for. Yeah. Um, and the head, you know, you weren't subverting Chuck Daly <laughs> or Pat Riley's power and influence. So. Uh, I, I just think I think organizations are making uh, an incredible mistake now with the size of staffs. To me, is absurd, yep. and that they're not entrusting their head coach to hiring the staff, which leads to, to me, a lot of a lot of staff problems. When you became a head coach, I remember when you took over Finelli. And all of a sudden, you know, you move over those famous 18 inches now. And, you know, before you're, you know, you're one of the very best suggestion makers in the game. And now all of a sudden you're getting suggestions from other people, which is great. But can you imagine having input from six people that they have on staffs now? Six, seven, eight people all trying to have their voice heard. It's such a, it's almost, it's an impossible job, I think. I, I, I. To me, it does. It doesn't even make sense. It does more. You know, everybody says they want to be the Spurs, right? Well, in staffing issues, they should listen to Greg Popovich when he says less is more, right? Because mm-hmm. he says that a lot about a lot of things. And I really do believe it. Like, yeah, I don't understand. Like, we have fifteen to seventeen players now. Why do we need eleven people? <laughs> like, I, I just don't understand like why there needs to be a one-to-one or even that it's better. You know, like it, I don't feel it's better. And like you said, for a head coach, you have so much on your mind every day to try to listen to the input of so many and keep it then concise and focused. I, I just, wow. Yeah. What a I, challenge. Yeah. I knew when I worked with Chuck um, or with Mike Fratello, for instance, that I, you know, that they would only look they would only list they could only listen to one person at a time and even if we had one other assistant uh, who was with us on not scouting uh you know we would put our ideas together and only one of us would present them to the head coach because you know it's it's so difficult to digest it and coach the game at the same time and manage all the players and stuff and i think you're 100 percent right on something when you were with Riley, uh, all of a sudden you went to a style of play defensively where you trapped all pick and rolls, okay? Something that we don't see anymore. Uh, but you know what? <laughs> I still think it's pr- pretty damn successful. Uh, but, you know, what was that like, at, at, you know, in preparing for people? Uh, because then that was the advent also of a lot more pick and rolls in our game because we were running a lot of them you know, in Detroit and then, uh, you know, and then when we went to Jersey and stuff like that, uh, what was it like then, uh, you know, in preparing, but knowing you were only going to play defensively one style almost. Yeah. So, um, we had a a guy who you're very familiar with Dick Carter, uh, came with Pat and, uh, we've, I've always felt like Dick Carter would have been a successful coach no matter what the sport he (laughs) coached, just because, of who he was, you know, he could have been your football coach and he would have been great. Um, and, and the, and the blitzing of the pick and roll, uh, started in our first year with New York, but it started almost, it didn't start as a plan. Um, really like for the whole year, like, no, it didn't start that way. It, it, I still remember we got off to a sort of a, a slower start and Sherman Douglas, I think it was, yeah. Back then in Miami, like yeah. they were terrible, but he he crushed us. Like, you know, like we're showing or whatever we're doing, and he's getting to his right hand, throwing those floaters up and whatever. So, um, we trapped him uh, one game, and it was v- very successful. Um, and then the next game, you know, we're talking about it so like you know coach riley decided you know we're gonna blitz we're gonna blitz not only not only the point guard we're gonna blitz everything you know and it like started in that year and then it just we never you know we never went back and you know 
like people say, well, and it was a different time. You know, the, yeah. the three point shot wasn't as big a thing. There weren't a lot of fours that were, you know, shooting it from deep. So it was a different time, but I think, um, it, it fit in with our team too, in that we were going to be the more aggressive. We were going to be the aggressor in every game and the blitzing of the pick and roll, you know, got us into that mentality. And then, you know, like you said, there were tremendous pick and roll guards like Isaiah yeah. and, and Dumars. Right. And so it wasn't like you, you, you won the battle every night, but, um, our team was believed and, and we were aggressive and assertive. And, um, and I think that's even more important than scheme was the mentality of yeah. our team was such that, uh, we were going to hit you first and, um, rather than be the reactor. So yeah. I, I, I found it fascinating to, to watch evolve during that first full year with Coach Riley and Coach Harder. So when we would play uh, the Knicks and uh, and we're, our shoot-arounds were, I think, very different uh, than other teams and certainly different than you guys were with the Knicks. We were, we were instead of 90 minutes or so with Riles, you know, we were 15 minutes with Chuck. And, and all he would do is say, all right, uh, defensively, here's how we're going to cover the pick-and-roll, the post-ups, and trailing off of uh, baseline screens. <laughs> That's it. We didn't, we didn't even have to. Those guys were so good defensively. We didn't even have to go through plays. And then, uh, but on offense is where he would say, "Okay, here's how they're going to guard us." And you know, and so when we were playing the Knicks, you know, and they would say, we'd say, "Okay, they're going to blitz you, Isaiah, on our four up play, or you know, our horns play, and our middle pick and roll," and Isaiah turned to Chuck and said, hey, Chuck, why the F don't you have Joe or Vinny handle the ball? I don't like getting my black ass trapped. <laughs> and and Chuck goes, no problem. Uh, <laughs> he just had the other guy handle the ball. But I No, mean, it's true, though. Like a lot he of, hated it. And, and, you know how physical you could be back then, too. Oh. It's like, you know, like it sounds good. Like, okay, come off. I, I remember this clear as day. Back then, Mark Price... Oh. Was as good a pick and roll player, the best, uh, yeah, as anybody in basketball. You know, he could shoot behind it. Uh, you know, he had the floater. They had huge size in Cleveland. Lenny Wilkins, they ran good stuff. But and he would split. Yeah, like like he was the first guy I saw. Just like like literally, it, he was so fast doing it. Right. So it happened like every time we played Cleveland. He would split us the first time, you know, here comes, you know, one, four pick and roll. We're going to, he's going to split us. And then the next time he tried to split Oakley took him out and that was it for the split. The split was then eliminated because, you know, you can only get hit so many times yeah. as a little guard. I mean, uh, it had a wearing impact on, on players. So even if they were really good against it in the first half, Man, it's hard to sustain that, you know, play after play. We're going to take another time out. We'll come right back with Jeff Van Gundy. Hi, this is Brendan Sir. I'm talking to coaches, PE teachers, ADs, and camp directors because I'm so excited to announce our newest Coaching You podcast partnership with my friends from 360 Hoops. What if I told you that I've witnessed the most innovative game training and exercise for kids that I've seen in decades. 360 Hoops takes up less space than traditional basketball and allows for more players to get involved in developing their basketball fundamentals. The three-sided basket is attached to wheels for easy transportation and can adjust from 7 to 10 feet. The uses are endless, from elementary and middle school recess to physical education class that can also be used for team practice and skill development training for teams with players of all ages. For more information, visit www.play360hoops.com. To learn more about this new innovative product, make sure you mention Coaching You for a 10% discount. Back with Jeff Van Gundy and Jeff, you know one of the things that I think uh, you had, you had the opportunity and pleasure of coaching two of the best big men 
in the league, and and well, many of them. But you know, with Patrick Ewing, one of my absolute favorites as a human being, but as a player, I mean, just incredible player in New York, and then the, the you know transformational player in Yao Ming in Houston. Um, they were so good for you. <laughs> the big man semi eliminated from our game now. We need them back in the game, I think. But would you like to have big people like that? And how would you use them today? Oh, absolutely. I would. They would be even. First of all, one of the reasons that they've been eliminated is because the way we officiate inside is so much different than where the way the game is officiated on the perimeter. So we're always protecting the smaller perimeter players. Um, and we allow, you know, the bludgeoning of big guys like, and so, you know, Ewing and, and, and Yao, um, and I think Shaquille O'Neal is the number one guy, like you're fouled on every possession as a big guy. Mm -hmm. And, um, but those guys, like I, they would dominate some of these waif, like little, like these smaller five men. And then you'd have to figure out how, how am I going to cover for them defensively? And you see the drop coverage in the pick and roll. That's one way. I think you'd have to get a little bit more, and I should have probably done it, especially with Yao, uh, should have zoned some mm. um, and figured out how to scramble four guys around and have him protect the basket because he was so good on offense um, that – you know, you don't want to lose, you know, that firepower. So, yeah, I think it would be a little bit more challenging. But I think, you know, the use of the zone in the NBA, particularly in certain situations, um, I think could have also protected them. But but Ewing had, when he was, you know, in his prime, he had the mobility to do everything. He could he could guard in a pick and roll and, ret and recover and – score and run so it he he was a you know a, a far different athlete than Yao. sure Yao had um you know because of almost too much size you know he had like mobility issues um defensively whereas ewing in his prime you know was as you know he was just so dominant like at both ends i remember once we were playing uh you guys on uh i guess it was nbc back then like a Sunday game, and we had no because our plane was in Charlotte on Friday, and we got an accident in the airport. We didn't get in till Saturday. We had no shoot around or anything, and the game's like at one o'clock. And I remember Chuck and I in the locker room pregame. We could not decide how to guard Patrick, and we said, "Should we trap him? No, should we play him straight up?" And I think our center was Benoit Benjamin. <laughs> And Chuck said, out of hell with it. And we just went out and played straight up. The guy was the kind of player that could give you 30 and a half. I mean, he, he was just, he's such a great shooter and, and, and stuff like that. How did you, and, and the offenses we ran were so different then. You know, how do you, how do you, how would you build an offense? If you have, a, if you're a high school college coach with a really good big man, how would you recommend you build an offense around a guy? Well, I think the first thing you have to, do is get the guy to run mm. in transition. You know, the, the rim to rim runner when he's not the rebounder, I think that rim to rim run has been lost in so many, uh, uh, places, even in college. Now they're they're They just run to the corners or run to a five out thing, but the rim to rim is still, it's hard to guard. Um, and that, you know, that quick post up in the paint. I think, the other thing that, you know, Yao did great, Ewing fought me on, was where you catch it is, is important. Ewing used to always think he was as good at, at four feet as he was, or at six feet as he was at four, or eight feet at six. So he didn't worry as much about where you caught it. But the paint catch is impossible against a great player like Patrick or Yao, in that if they catch it with two feet in the paint, you don't need a great move. All you need to do is be able to shoot a little jump hook, right, with either hand. So I think it starts with learning how to seal. Um, and then I think, you know, post-up offense is so much more challenging because the pass is 
important. And having guys who know how and when to feed the post, uh, the post game is lost not only because guys don't want to post, but because because we don't have as many post players, we've lost all fundamentals uh, with the post entry pass. So I think that's that makes it more challenging. And then you got to have you know three or four actions that you can run with counters to get the ball deep into the paint and it's not easy and that requires execution and screening and timing and then the ability to deliver the ball on time and on target so yeah that i mean i think it starts in transition having three or four uh ways to get the ball in plus counters um off those same sets and then really working on you know guys giving of themselves by screening to get the guy a spot that can produce a high quality shot. You know, when Stan had uh, Dwight Howard, I was in Orlando living at the time, and uh, and I and I thought he was really unique the way he coached Dwight in that uh, he he didn't have Dwight come down and like just post up. He usually used him many times as a high ball screen guy and rolled him right into the paint, <laughs> and therefore. You couldn't help on the pick and roll because if you did, then he was wide open underneath. And and I thought it, I've never seen someone get better post position as when Stan had him in Orlando. And if you think about it, it's really similar thought process to the rim to rim run yeah. in transition, right? It's screen, you know, get your body, you know, the, the, the guy defending the screener, his body off of you, and then like right down, you know, the middle of the paint, and then again, learning how to seal, how to deliver. And Stan was like in in uh, Orlando when he played Rashard Lewis at yes. the four. That was like one of the first teams that you know played as an every night lineup. You know, four three point shooters, and um, I think the lineup construction plus the like you said the pick and roll, the way they got him the ball. You know, that led to a really potent offense. And, you know, and it's funny, and not being critical of other guys, but he has not had the success. Everyone says, I know they, he's a Hall of Fame player. But since he's left Stan, he has not played like one. And, and because of, you know, I think, you know, the people are, you know, they're not doing the things that Stan did with him, and therefore – uh, he's not getting the same results and stuff. And I, I just found it to be uh, absolutely brilliant. And it wasn't like Steph Curry was, Stan was using Steph Curry in a pick and roll. It was Jameer Nelson, who's a terrific player. But I mean, just but just enough to come off and make a shot made him have to get guarded. I thought it was a brilliant strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, when uh, you coached, uh, you know, the last four or five years, you, you've been with USA Basketball it's an incredible experience. You actually got to help our our country qualify uh, for the Olympics and the World Championships. Talk about FIBA basketball, the Olympics, uh, which you know you had the job that I had with the Dream Team of you know preparing our team with through scouting, etc. Ours was a little easier, uh, but uh, but you know talk about that and the the world of basketball because it's changed from '92 to now. Obviously, the international game is incredible. So when I first um, started with USA Basketball, um, Sean Ford, who does such a terrific job in every aspect uh, for USA Basketball, you know, um, like I, I had really no knowledge. And, and frankly, I, I probably wasn't uh, as astute as I, had, I thought I was about the international game. I knew the international NBA players were really good, but I – I didn't probably know enough about, you know, guys who were playing in Chile or Argentina or, you know, Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and all these other places. I didn't realize how many good players there were, how hard they played, how much they cared about playing for their country, and most of all, how good the coaching was. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a, a humbling experience trying to learn about all the different players around the world that we were going to have to compete against and the coaches and their styles and how they taught and, you know, all these things. 
And it was one of the greatest experiences because if I was, if I was a college coach or if I was a high school coach, uh, I wouldn't study the NBA at all for trying to help my program at those levels. I would study FIBA basketball because I think FIBA has the most commonalities with the college game um, from a rule standpoint, from a physicality standpoint, um, from a skill standpoint uh, than the NBA does. So it, it's, it, it's been a great experience. Um, you know, Greg Popovich did a tremendous job leading us to an Olympic gold uh, last uh, summer. Um, Steve Kerr now has that undertaking for the next World Cup and Olympics, and he'll do a fabulous job as well. He was one of Coach Pop's assistants on this last um, Olympic run. So, um, but it's been great, um, really fun, and it really expands your knowledge base about the game. So when you're trying to qu- help us qualify, talk about the internal pressure. Every time you coach, there's pressure. But, you know, you're a guy that coached in the NBA Finals. Talk about the pressure of trying to win a game around Thanksgiving time against – I, it, I don't know whether it's Dominican Republic or someone. That could be anybody. Right. Yeah, it's, it doesn't it, matter. Wow. It, it's uh, unbelievable. Like, it's <laughs> – you'll never feel more pressure. Like, I – especially because you're trying to help qualify. I was thinking, Pop's the Olympic coach, but if we don't qualify, <laughs> Pop's the Olympic coach in name only because we're not going to – we're not going to make it. You know, like, we won't make it. So – um uh and the guys, the G League guys, I'll tell you the other thing it did. My respect for the G League player, how good they are, how committed they are, it went up exponentially. I love the G League players yeah. that we coached. And I think I coached like maybe 75 different ones wow. in this whole qualifying um, structure uh, that we went through. And, man, they're good. And they're, I mean, think about it. You might be in the top 1,000 at your job in the whole world, but very few know if you're not in the NBA. Correct. But that doesn't take away how good you are at your job. And that's how I felt about those guys. So, um, yeah, I love FIBA basketball. And what I've come to really appreciate is the, the road that these G League guys, the difficult road these G League guys undertake each and every year i love that they're getting a chance to play in the league right now oh i mean it's awesome. i hate that you know we're going through as you know a, a country in the world the omicron thing but i mean i love that these guys are getting a chance because each night guys are proving how good they are that's right yeah i think that hey when you um you know one of the last things i wanted to talk to you about you know if you you know when you are on your job, you know, with the great Mark Jackson and Hall of Famer Mike Breen, who I had to, you know, just love the guy. And an incredible team as a broadcasting crew. Uh, and, and, you know, and you have so much fun because of how much you love each other. But talk about when you get to go to practice and you get to see, really, how as a guy that loves to learn, how good is it to, like, be on the inside when you can go and watch teams prepare for games and, and coach and stuff like that, where you're learning about 30 different guys, coaching staffs and philosophies. Yeah. You know, it used to be uh, more open like that. Uh-huh. Um, but, and that was a great part of the broadcasting job, but that's sort of uh, been eradicated in the NBA over time. Really? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You can go there as an individual person, like, uh, but not really like you don't go there. You can't see shoot arounds. Really, you know, not not as many people are shooting around. But it's yeah. just it's just a lot different. A lot a lot has changed in that way, um, in in the NBA. And in some ways, I understand it. You got health issues. Yeah, you've got social media that you know you don't want things out there, and um, you know. So it's I, I understand it, but it is one of the things that. Um, has changed over time, and 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 probably will never come back. 
That's too bad because I'd love, you know, when you, you think about the guys that have been broadcasters, whether it be, you know, prior to you, whether it be, you know, Fratello, of course, is, was a super Doc Rivers, uh, Chuck Daly, even uh, Ramsey, you know, different people like that. Can you imagine it, you guys are like John Madden coming to a practice and, and what we could learn from you as a coach? I mean, we would have and I'm sure Riles was the same way. You know, when we when we were um, a good team and we were on TV a lot, Chuck couldn't wait for damn shoot around to be done to talk to, to go into a production meeting. He had more fun talking to those guys than he did talking to me, and and so and I and he was so excited when he came back. You know what they said about you know our team? They gave me a great idea, <laughs> and I and that's that's what I love about it. You know, it's so good both yeah. ways. See, you still get to talk to the coaches pregame, but uh, it's it's just different. You know, it's just. You know, there's so many people around. You got PR people that are in the meetings now. You know, there was never PR people in the meetings when you used to talk. You know, like you said, could be you and Hubie. And, 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 yeah, Hubie, of course. My God. You know, Hubie, I always remember this uh, <laughs> uh, this line. I forgot which coach said it, but, you know, Hubie would ask you a question. You'd give your answer, and he'd sit there and he'd ponder it for a second. <laughs> and and the, guy, uh, the coach who said it, he says, in that time between him asking the question, you giving the answer, and then him pondering your answer, you're hoping, did I pass the test? <laughs> did I pass the test? And it's so true. Like, I remember my first one with Hubie. It was like, is that guy saying, that guy's the biggest idiot I've ever, <laughs> like, asked a question to? Or are these reasonable answers, you know? So, but, you know, when I was his assistant, he would do the same thing. You know, he would ask us a question, I'd give him the answer, and then it would be the pause. We called it the pause. And I said, Did he hear my answer? Did he do it? <laughs> it would even happen on a phone call. So I get it. Jeff, last one. If you were to come back and coach, what would you do now watching the game now how would you coach differently than when you coached let's say the Knicks or Houston well I think the game has, has changed yeah. a little bit schematically obviously um like you hope you would the core tenets of what you believe the core tenets of what wins and loses hasn't changed the way the game's played a little bit obviously has so you have to adapt and adjust to that mm -hmm. but I think What's interesting for me is not like how I would change, but where do you see you, you're having a, a chance to gain an advantage if you coached? And the one thing that I've found that I, I think you can try to gain an advantage in is shot selection. I, I think shot selection, everybody being um, given the same green light, allows you um, – as a team, if you're willing to be disciplined, is not everybody should have the green light. Some guys should have the green light. Other guys should have a yellow light. Some guys even deserve a red light, you know? Um, <laughs> and I think that, to me, would be where I would try to gain an advantage. Um, I think I would probably coach a little bit, you know, I would zone some, I think. Um, you know, I don't think in the NBA you can zone, like, all game or, you know, for a quarter straight. But here and there, I think to try to keep teams off off balance would be something um, to consider. And then I think, you know, you have to adapt and adjust to, you know, maybe being, a, you know, hopefully as you get older, you're a little bit more empathetic to individuals' situations, you know. And I think I could improve in that way too. Mm, that is so good. So good. Jeff, Thanks, man. We could do this for three or four hours, but you're the best. I really appreciate it. Continued success with Mark and Michael on your on your journeys, but um, uh, really appreciate you coming on and sharing with the coaches around the world. Absolutely. Thank you, Brendan. Wow. That was a clinic. That was such insight. Um, you know, I tried to give – I had so many notes. Uh, I used almost all of them, and uh, – He's one of those uh, individuals that, you know, you could have for good hours on. And uh, I, I appreciate him sharing with us. And so whether you're a high school, college, or, or a professional coach, you can learn from Jeff Van Gundy, uh, one of the really, really great coaches and teachers I've ever gone against in the NBA uh, and known. 
uh, and is a real good friend of coaching you, and we really appreciate it. Until next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sarah.